The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. of Wax, the ultimate dimension in terror, comes to the screen in Stereovision 3D. Vincent Price, at his diabolical best, will take you room by terrible room on a journey to the ultimate chamber of horrors. Stereovision 3D will synthesize before your eyes the terrifying reality of it all. In Stereovision 3D, House of Wax. Happy Halloween! As Welcome to the Tragedy of Cinemas. Halloween special, House of Wax. I am your host, Jimbo. I am your most horrifying co-host, This is true. Just love um, Some of you may have wondered over here from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Halloween special where we did a mini uh, episode on this yeah. uh, movie. Um, and as usually, uh, after we are on Jerry's podcast for the Halloween special, we do the full version uh, for Halloween on our show. So, Kyle, what... Do you think is Vincent Price's greatest role? Vincent Price's greatest role? Oh boy, that's a good question because I didn't remember like how many roles Vincent Price has. Like, um, probably the House on Haunted Hill, probably some favorite one of his, just because he had the whole narrator stuff and all kind of stuff too going on. Probably the most iconic for me personally. What do you think, Jimbo? What's your probably most iconic Vincent Price role? Uh, probably when he was in Thriller. Thriller, the music video. Oh, Michael Jackson. Wait, really? Oh, yeah, he was. Okay, okay. Like I guess kidding, so. but I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. starting to think like, 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 um, like oh, yeah, I would, I would answer, probably I have to say the House of Haunted Hill. Although this movie that we're talking about, probably up there, he does a really good job in this movie too. 
Um, he's been in so much. He's iconic. I mean, Theater of Blood. I mean, you could go on and on and on a, about a legendary it. career. Yeah, you know, an right. iconic part of Story movie history. Career. Just right. not even just the movies he was in. Yeah. So. so Kyle, go ahead and take away House of Wax. All right, Jimbo. House of Wax released on April twenty fifth of nineteen fifty three. This is definitely on the older side of the movies we cover here. Um, quick little summary: An associate burns down a wax museum with the owner inside, but he survives only to become a vengeful and murderous. He started his own new House of Wax. It's a quick little, uh, well, not plot summary, but quick little rundown of the, what the film entails. I'll get to a plot summary later. Um, directed by Andre Detoff, written by Crane Wilbur and Charles Belden, produced by Brian Foy, and composed by David um, Butoff. Butoff. Cinematographer was Burt Glennon and J. Purville Marley. Um, actual plot summary of the film. Professor Henry Jared is a true artist whose wax sculptures are lifelike. He specializes in historical tableaus such as Marie Antoinette and or Joan of Arc. His business partner, Matthew Burke, needs some of his investment in turn to him and pushes Jared to have more his more lurid exposes like Chamber of Horrors. When Jared refuses, Burke sets the, sets the museum alight, destroying all of his beautiful work and hoping of claiming the insurance money. Jared is believed to have died in the fire, but unexpectedly reappears some 18th month later 18 months later when he opens a new exhibit this time his displays focuses on the macabre where he has yet to re- he has yet to reproduce his most cherished work a murray antoinette when he meets his new assistant's beautiful friend sue allen he knows he's found the perfect model only only unbeknown to anyone he has a, particular, a very particular way of making his wax creations dun 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 the house of wax <laughs> That's a quick little plot summary of the film there. Um, some of the budget information of the film, which I was glossed over. Thank you, Jimbo, for pointing that out to me. The budget of the film was $1 million in 1953. And just for inflation, that'd be about $11.5 million today, which is incredibly modest considering they made an entire wax museum. But we'll go into the trivia later about how they um, kind of kept their costs lower, as Jimbo mm-hmm. will get to in the trivia notes there, because they did some incredible cost, um, you know, um, efficient manners of making this one go. Um, gross worldwide, though, it made a staggering $23.75 million. And just for inflation, that'd be two. $273.1 million of today. That is crazy. $11 million in, $273 million out. I'll take that deal any day of the week, Jimbo. The price is right, Kyle. Oh, my God. That's a, that's a, that's a 25, 25 times return on your investment. That's absolutely ridiculous. This movie did huge money for its day. Huge money. Um... Some of the award quick notes for the film there. Um, oh, um, it was nominated in 2014 for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films for the Best Blu-ray and DVD Special Edition Release. So if you get the 2014 release, you get a great Blu-ray there, special features and all that. Um, I don't have the year it was added, but it was added to the National Film Preservation Board for the National Film Registry, of course, where it now is remembered as a, uh, a, a legendary film in its own right for being preserved forever and all time. And then for the 1953 San Sebastian International Film Festival, it was nominated for Best Film. Technical details of the film, we have a brief runtime of just 88 minutes. Sound mix was a stereo through the Warner Phonic RCA thing, so it has a three-channel audio split there. 
Color Info, this is a color film, one of the first of its time, really. And Aspect Ratio is 1.37 by 1. This is a very square film overall, too. Lots of side pillars there for the side viewing there and kind of audience. You know, it makes sense for a square television set instead of the, you know, 16 by 9 Aspect Ratio all televisions basically are nowadays. And process um, for this film was done in Natural Vision 3D, one of the first big filigree films of the time ever, really. So incredible work there on that front. Um, some of the other production notes of the film there, which I got stored around here somewhere. Um, we have a production status of it was released on April 9th as the earliest release date, apparently for early screenings, um, derived from some of its early release dates, stuff going on there. And don't have the start and end day of production. I don't know where I put that at. I must have hidden it somewhere for myself. Um, so I have to gloss over that. Um, some of the other um, titles it was used of uh, was the, the Waxworks and the Home of Massacre de Cryer for the French release of the film. So, moving on here, we're going to move on to the cast notes of the film there. We have a huge stacked cast here as well, so I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can, but at the same time, paying respects to everyone going on here. Um, we, of course, have the, um, the, the main antagonist of the House of Wax, Vincent Price's Professor Henry Gerard. Vincent Price, of course, as we yeah, I mentioned at the very top of this film, he is one of the most prolific horror movie icons in history, of film history, one of the most iconic actors in film history, you know, period, actually. Um, incredibly well known for such films as House on Haunted Hill in 1959, The Fly in 1958, and The Abominable Dr. Phoebes, Phoebes in 1971. Um, Vincent Price is an amazing actor and had many amazing works, and uh, just as a, a continuing uh, inspiration and kind of like a you know, iconic figure to this day. So, good respect on him there. Next up, we have Frank Lovejoy playing the character of Detective Lieutenant Tom Brennan. Frank Lovejoy was in a few other films himself. He was in The Lonely Place in 1950 and The Hitchhiker in 1953. Next up, we have Phyllis Kirk playing Sue Allen, the protagonist of the film, the respective protagonist of the film, and the kind of the main uh, the main figure of the provocative uh, uh, film um, album cover, if you were, uh, the film cover. <laughs> and uh, she was in many other films as well, including the film Crime Wave in 1953 and Back from Eternity in 1956. Next up, we have Carolyn Jones playing the role of Kathy Gray. Carolyn Jones is probably best well-known playing as the original Morticia Adams in The Adams Family Show from 1964 to 1966. She was also in the film The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1956 as well. Next up, we have Paul Persini playing the role of Scott Andrews. Paul Persini was also in the film Airport in 1970 and Marie Maru in 1952. Next up, we have Roy Roberts playing the character of Matthew Burke. Roy Roberts was also in the film Chinatown in 1974 and Tumbleweed in 1953. Next up, we have Angela Clark playing the role of Mrs. Andrews. Angela Clark was in the film The Great Caruso in 1951 and The Milk, the, the Miracle of Our Lady um, Fatima. Um, I, didn't put, I didn't write that route that the year there, unfortunately. I forgot to write that one down. Next up, we have Paul Cavanaugh playing the role of Sidney Wallace. Paul Cavanaugh was in the film Tarzan and His Mate in 1934 and Going to Town in 1935. So he already had 20-plus 20, you know, 20 years experience by the time he did this film. Incredible work there in that respect. Next up, we have Dabs Greer playing the role of Sergeant Jim Shane. Um, Dabs Greer was also in the film The Green Mile in 1999. He played the um, the the modern day old man of Tom Hanks' character in that film, actually. So incredible legacy in there, like you know, from the 1950s to now. Um, you know, 40 years more of work there. Incredible work in that place. And he was also on the show Little House on the Prairie from 1974 to 1983. 
Then next up, and kind of like a surprise, I believe this actually was a theoretical debate with Charles Bronson playing the role of Igor, the mute assistant for Vincent Price's character there, uh, Gerard Henry. Um, Charles Bronson, of course, most easily, um, you know, playing the iconic, um, uh, actually I forget the name of the character of Evan Death Wish, but he's iconic for his role as the main character in the Death Wish film saga. Um, Death Wish 1, 1974, Death Wish 2, 82, then 3 in 1985, and Death Wish 4 in 87, and finally Death Wish 5, The Face of Death in 1994. So uh, 30 years of making sequels to Death Wish. So pretty incredible film legacy right there too. And uh, finally, for the um, last member we're going to mention on the cast here, not the last member of all the cast, but the last member we're going to mention here, we have Richard, Reggie Rimel playing the Barker, otherwise known as the Paddle Baller scene we actually see in the film, which had like iconic 3D effects of him breaking the fourth wall and uh, breaking the fourth wall and kind of like attacking the audience with a paddle ball. Um, and uh, he was also on. Uh, if you go on YouTube, type in Reggie Rimel, you'll get um, um, film shots from his um, kind of show in the Colgate Comedy Hour, at least one episode of that in 1950, where he was doing another. Um, Amazing um, showing of all his paddle ball tricks that were really impressive overall. Might talk about him a little later in the podcast there. But that kind of concludes the cast notes we have going on here. So I'm going to take it off to Jimbo. Kinjo, tell me some of the amazing trivia for this amazing film. Yeah, okay, we'll get there. Um, can I just say, first of all, that some of the makeup effects in this was great. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we'll get to some of them. Um, but although this film was produced in 3D, ironically, director Andre de Toth was blind in one eye and hence he could not see the effect. So oh. that's just, how did he get him so perfectly with that? You know what I mean? I that's, that's impressive. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Nedrick Young, who plays the alcoholic assistant Leon, was uncredited because he had been blacklisted during the Joseph McCarthy Red Scare era in Hollywood. Kyle, uh, do you know what the Red Scare yeah, is? Yeah, the fear of communism. We're basically communism. blacklisted. Actors and writers and many of the people in the film industry for fear that they would spread communist propaganda through their work. Right. So, I mean, that's a little petty that he didn't even credit him. Absolutely terrible time in Hollywood for those very reasons. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, while this film is far from being the first 3D film, nor the first in sound or color, it was the first 3D film released with stereophonic soundtrack. While the original stereo tracks are considered lost, it is believed that the clamshell case Warner Home Video DVD uses the original 4.0 sound mix as opposed to the snapper case DVD and Blu-ray release, which uh, uses the 2.0 monoroll mix down. Oh, wow. So that's another part of its film legacy and film you know, technology investment there going with the, um, the shell there. I'm sorry, a little right. no, bounce there. Uh, the name of Vincent Price's character was changed to Henry Jared from Ivan Igor to avoid alienating Russian viewers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, with this movie, Warner Brothers became the first major American studio to produce a 3D movie, which is awesome. Uh, the alcoholic sculptor was a heroin addict in the original version of the film Mystery of the Wax Museum, but that had to be changed for the remake because the production code forbade any mention of drug addiction. However, a character played by Vincent Price had gotten away with uh, confessing to drug addiction in Dragonwick, filmed in 1945, eight years before this film. Oh, wow. That's an interesting little uh, side piece. I should get that by the censors of the time. Um, yeah, and I, and I don't think this one was like lesser for not having the heroin addiction character. So this is technically a remake, then? Yes, 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 yes. Or, or another another direct adaptation, not necessarily a remake of the, the original film, but an adaptation of the original work, for sure. Because I think this is based on a book, if I'm not correct. Uh, Joan Weldon and Vera Miles from Twilight Zone fame uh, were both contenders for the role of Sue Allen before Phyllis Kirk was chosen. Uh, Phyllis Kirk said that she has, quote, no fond memories of working with Charles Bronson. So, yeah, that seems like kind of a, the kind of a less surprising thing that Charles Bronson might have been a... <laughs> 
for a man as big as he was and like aspiring to violence in his films may have carried that through to his real life too to some degree not saying he was I have no idea about Charles Bronson's life hopefully he was a good man but I don't know uh, while looking for a script for a new Gary Cooper vehicle Andre de Toth came across Mystery of the Wax Museum and had the idea of redoing it in 3D he convinced Jack L. Warner who gave him a budget of $1,250,000 de Toth finished it in 28 days for $618,000 huh, $250,000 there that'd probably be enough. That's, that's the equivalent of like another $3 million for the production cost today so that probably would have got a lot further there it's unfortunate that we go on IMDb Pro and we actually get a little bit of conflicting stuff in the original trivia versus what's reported on IMDb Pro um, you know, it's a, it's one of those things like it's, it's the Wikipedia problem of like shared knowledge has yeah. conflicting knowledge to some degree. So it probably was between one million and one point two five million there, but we can't know for sure until you know someone really goes back and finds uh, true history of that. Warner Brothers restoration of this film for a three D Blu ray release cost three hundred thousand dollars. The original negatives were unusable because of water damage, and the Warner Phonic stereo soundtrack no longer exists. Oh wow. This film was one of the first major pictures shot in 3D, and the director used some of the uh, usual tricks. In one scene, at the grand opening of the House of Wax, a sort of barker is enticing people to come in, and he actually breaks the fourth wall, talking directly to the movie theater audience. He is playing with a paddle ball, hitting it towards the camera, as well as towards the people gathered around in front of the House of Wax. At one point, he is hitting the ball towards the movie uh, audience, and he says, And don't spill your popcorn, kid. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. And you got a, a, it's kind of a myth of how gullible audiences were at the time too. But I wonder if there were kind of like you know kids in the audience or adults in the audience even you know succumbing like thinking like almost spilling their popcorn because they were afraid they're going to hit by the paddle ball. But I mean, you know? I've had one of those paddle one balls. It's not an easy thing to hit. Oh, and yeah, this yeah. guy is just because he's standing at like six feet at least at times. Yeah, it's like tink, 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 yeah, tink. yeah, and doing very consistently very well. Like there was no doubt he did it all day every day for months, if not years, to get that good at being a paddle baller. Right. Uh, Frank Ferguson, who has an uncredited role as a medical examiner, had previously played the owner of House of Horrors and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein from 1948. William uh, Kimmler was uh, indeed the first person to die in the electric chair, which they have a, a, a statue in the Wax Museum in New York of, in August 8, 1890. The execution did not go smoothly, lasting about eight minutes. Yeah, eight minutes of... Probably unbearable suffering, I'm sure. That sounds awful. Right. Yeah. And we're talking forth about the smell, too, in those kind of situations. Just absolutely. <laughs> that reminds me of the Green Mile, where they don't put the water on the head. Oh, yeah. They leave the sponge dry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Turns uh, out executions are horrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, Vincent Price had other interests besides acting. He was a connoisseur of the fine art and donated some of his collection to East Los Angeles College, where an art museum named after him still stands. Road trip, Kyle. Mm-hmm. And he enjoyed Let's cooking, right even pinning a collection of recipes for publication. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. You need the Vincent Price cookbook. Yeah, Vincent Price cookbook. If I could find a copy, I might buy that. Uh, we might cool. have to look for that. It'd be a cool thing to have on a shelf. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it'd be cool to cook some of it. That too. <laughs> I don't know. That's just like one of the things. Interesting enough to own, even if it's not an interesting thing to actually read. Although <laughs> uh, the paddle ball uh, playing Barker is a clever way of attracting customers, the actual product was not invented until the 1920s after soft rubber was first produced. Oh yeah, because the way I, I I I keep forgetting, even when I'm watching the film, that it's supposed to be a past film, right? Of like the was it which say like 1890s somewhere there, or like no, or even like the 1910s, somewhere in there, somewhere in that general ballpark. Yeah. Uh, in the book, I was a monster movie maker. Phyllis Kirk said she got into a heated argument with director Andre Detoth while filming the scene where she's tied naked to a table. 
She was wearing a flesh-colored bodysuit to make it seem like she was nude, and Toth kept telling her to pull the top down lower and lower because it was visible in her close-up. Finally, she yelled at him, Andre, I have no bosom. I greatly resemble my father in that department, and if I pull it down any further, whatever the illusion is now will be, I promise you, gone. <laughs> <laughs> I got this from my father. Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this Funny, but also sad aspect of old films is how sexist they can be <laughs> in the production schedule. At less than 90 minutes long, people are often surprised that this film has an intermission, which I was shocked too. As an early color 3D film, the studio probably thought people would need a break from its intensity. Uh, this fair. is the first film in the horror genre that Vincent Price had to play in, with latter more or less the same kind of character and scheme. A good man gone bad who then evokes empathy from the audiences. Yeah. Jimbo, should we have intermissions come back? Do you think like of the early well, especially some of those movies long now? movies like yeah. the, the Three Avengers? Yeah, I think so. I would love they had them back too. I don't know why we didn't do it because I, because I bet I bet like movie theaters would love another chance to get people back at the concession stand to buy. Well, not only that, but how many times do you soda. go watch one of these movies that's three hours long and you got to go to the bathroom where you're holding it? You just know at least I mean? once. Just yeah. at least once, and yeah. then you come back. What I miss? You yeah, know, exactly. every yeah. time I go, I got to run and miss five minutes of this three-hour movie just because I have to go. I have to go to the bathroom right. so bad. Yeah. Uh, maybe not as long as some of them, but maybe just like an interlude, you know, 15 minutes even, maybe. Even, yeah, yeah, five or ten minutes would just be such a blessing. But, yeah. uh, man, I would love to see it come back someday. Yeah. Um, it, it, may, it may, hopefully. I would love to see it back. Here's a little spoiler. Uh, the scene where Paul Pisser, uh, Pickerny is uh, rescued from the guillotine by Frank Lovejoy seconds before the blade came down with film was filmed in one take using a real guillotine blade. What? No! Uh, Pierceny and director Andre Toth got into a heated argument when Pierceny, on advice from the film Stuntman, refused to do the scene as too dangerous. A prop man was to hold up the blade off camera and tell the actors when he dropped it so they could yank Pierceny away. Toth threw him off the picture, but several days later, on orders from studio head Jack Warner, Toth recalled him and had the prop department modify the guillotine to make it less dangerous. After examining the guillotine... Um, Person he said he would do one take and no more, which is exactly what happened. Ooh. Oh my gosh! Like no, well, you know, I mean, just, what could possibly go wrong with a real guillotine? What could possibly go wrong with a real guillotine? Although Kyle would want one in his bedroom or something just yeah. to have as a prop. I'm going to need one in a few days because I need to shave my head for the Ernest Road for the for Uncle Festa. Actually, Kyle, this came out on Halloween, so that's several days late. Ah, darn. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. It's, we record everything in real time, as we know. So I, I, I just shaved my head, right, everyone? I'm breaking the illusion, Jimbo. Um, so one, one thing I will say about this is when, um, at the end, when um, Vincent Price's, uh, they, they, his face, well, they shatter his face, you know, and, and mm. just the disfigured makeup. It's and a stuff. great effect. Ah, oh. yeah. Oh, it's it, this film is one of those ones that it's what makes movies great. Um, Vincent Price, legendary actor, and just the story is great. You, you know, you had a businessman that thought your partner died in a fire and you're collecting all this insurance, which you set on fire. So not only did you, you know, arson your own uh, business, you also murdered somebody yeah. allegedly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Kyle, what do you think of this movie? 
I think this movie is an eight out of ten. Um, in respect, I think it's great. I think it holds up really, really well, um, and it's a, it's, an, it's an amazing film for a te- technical achievement of the era and for um, how entertaining it can still be today. Um, I'm judging it by the merits of its time, though, for sure. Like if it came out today, I'm like, you would be blessed by basically anything going on here. Um, but for its time, it's incredibly impressive what it was doing with both practical effects and technology. It was used to develop the film in 3D, like it was. And I think this like first 3D film to really hit big in a huge way that I really appreciate as well. And Vincent Price just, you know, he owns every scene he's in. He's just delightful in everything he does. And it's always great to see him on scene. And also, same thing with uh, uh, Phyllis Kirk playing Sue Allen there. Also plays an amazing role as well. And is really convincing for her character role. So, great well, She's the one that they actually put into the Marie Antoinette. Because isn't the Morticia Adams lady, she's the one that's trying to get her friend. Uh, well, Sue's the um, one she keeps looking at up there in the... Uh, yeah. That he's put into the Marie Antoinette. Yeah, yeah, Sue Allen. Well, Sue Allen is the is the is the girl that lives so through it all. Um, I believe it's Kathy Gray's character is who the one. Hopefully, I'm right. Yeah, I think yeah. You might Sue, have that backwards. I, I'm pretty sure Sue Allen is the one going to turn to. Okay, regardless, the main protagonist of the the, the female protagonist of the film. <laughs> I thought she did an amazing job with her role. It's a very convincing female. Uh, female. She's a female. Uh, very convincing in her role um, in the film, and I really enjoyed that. Over. But remember, she got her bosom from her dad. So she maybe got, not she got a bosom from her dad. <laughs> she got to put a bucket of worms on my head. Uh, um, um, anyways, uh, well, which one, which one was Phyllis Kirk? Uh, Phyllis Kirk was Sue Allen. Phyllis Kirk. Okay, you see, yeah, so she was the one on the table that was getting stretched. So exactly. you were right. Okay. I was wrong. Okay, good, good, good. I'm glad we got that on video because I don't admit to that very often. <laughs> I thought I was wrong. Just asked my wife. I was just <laughs> uh, yeah. Even if I'm wrong, I'm going to argue it till the end. Yeah, yeah. But overall, this is a very strong film. It's one of Vincent Price's most iconic performances, and I really appreciate it. Jimbo, how do you? Feel oh about yeah, this film? it's Vincent Price. It's classic. Yeah, entertaining. Mm-hmm. It uh, moves right along, even with the intermission. Uh, that paddle baller, that's worth like three stars on its own. Um, it's, for me, it's probably an eight out of ten, too. Um, did you ever see the remake? Well, I, Paris Hilton, where she dies. Or I think, remake. I've not seen it. Oh, uh, you I, need to I, watch I, that because yeah. Paris Hilton dying is the best part of the movie. <laughs> She's uh, but, I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not Vincent Price, but I mean, um, but yeah, that, that that had a there was somebody else in that I thought, uh, but I remember the whole Paris Hilton. I think it's Paris Hilton. Maybe we'll do another like next year 20th anniversary podcast for the House of Wax season four. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna lock it in, Jimbo. Don't worry. Let's go. Rewaxed. Rewaxed. <laughs> <laughs> See, we already got the shtick. We already got it. We gotta lock it in now. We get gas down. Uh, no, but yeah, definitely, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, it's always a fun time with Vincent Price, and and he's a great actor and talented. So. Well, we hope everybody has a happy Halloween. Uh, we're getting ready to run into the holiday season now, so pretty soon it'll be Thanksgiving and yeah. it'll be Christmas and back to New Year's. I- I'm so happy that our Halloween event went off without a hitch and everyone had a great time. Best time. I'm sure we'll also. do a live update podcast <laughs> on it once we're there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.